Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. Yeah, so grateful. Oh, you know, I'm, I believe with everything in my heart uh, as we come together today that no matter how you walk into these moments, that we have a God who changes everything where, uh, where he takes and, and removes the chains and, and allows the captive to go free. No matter what uh, we're walking in here today with on our hearts and in our minds, I know uh, that we have a God who uh, gives us hope in the midst of difficulties, who uh, is with us in the midst of everything uh, that we walk through. And uh, I'm so grateful that you are here. Uh, if you're worshiping with us online this morning, if you're a guest with us this morning that is here today to to be part of the baptism celebration that we uh, will be taking part in here in a few minutes. I just want to say I'm so glad that you are here. And it's a great Sunday to be here. We're kicking off a new sermon series. We're going to walk verse by verse through uh, the book of Philippians. Uh, Not all today, don't worry, but we're going to walk through uh, those uh, passages and, and we're going to do that over the next several weeks. And I believe that as we do that, that you're going to be glad that you are here and maybe even better said that there's going to be a joy that you experience because you've been in the presence of the Lord. And, and when we think about the book of Philippians, the word joy, it, it's, it's a book that literally one word uh, could describe this incredible theme. And, and, you know, we live in a culture where many times we, we confuse a little bit this thought of joy and this thought of happiness. Now, uh, my dad's birthday was this past week, and we gathered at my home, and we were, uh, we were there. My little boy wanted to play some cards, and as I was sitting there playing cards and sitting there with my mom and dad and with him, and as we were uh, just enjoying those moments, right, it took me back to a time uh, when I was a little boy, and I could see us really just gathered around, almost gathered around that table playing Old Maid. Anybody ever play some Old Maid? Yeah, that's like a take-home thing today. Just play some old maid when you get home, right? And when we have some family time. And what I realized is that when I was growing up, that there were some moments in old maid that made me so happy. (laughs) When other people got the old maid. But my dad and my mom would tell you that, like, when I got the old maid, you're there with me, right, James? You're like... Lips sticking out like this is a bad moment, right? <laughs> and as I was thinking about that, I was reminded that so much in our culture is really that way. You know, there can be moments where we get a new toy and we're happy. And then uh, maybe, maybe we get a new iPhone. The new iPhone comes out, we're the first ones to get it. And all of a sudden, we're so excited. We're happy. And then a new one comes out a little later. And now we have the old one. And we're no longer so excited about those moments. And, you know, we... We try to find satisfaction in just the frailty of our nature. We try to find satisfaction in the things of this world. We try to find happiness, even uh, as, as a nation. And I'm so thankful to live in this country that we live in and, and to, to have the freedoms that we have. And, you know, part of our Declaration of Independence, it, it says that we're guaranteed to these inalienable rights, like that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, Right? But here's the reality that if that is the thing that we are pursuing and we are trying to find it in the things of this world, it is always going to come up 
short. It's only going to last for so long. And we all struggle with this pursuit. A lot of the things that we organize our day, the way that we, uh, we order the things that we do, we are in pursuit of things that would give us happiness, things that we would enjoy. And, and, and at some level, right, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's this reality uh, that there's something much greater. And when we look around at this world, we see that this word joy, right? When we look around at this world, we don't see a lot of it. If you, you know, I spent some time this week at the tag office in a line waiting to renew my tag. And, and normally when you're like in a line somewhere, the people that are waiting in line, there's just not always a lot of joy, right? You can just reality that. Like I, I, I'm in line at self-checkout and it's wrapped like half the way around the store I was in. And, and you're looking at that and you, you maybe you're here and you don't like self-checkout anyway, right? But when you're in that line and you're with all those people, a lot of times in that line, you're not finding a lot of joy. And when we look around a lot of times, maybe even at church people, we're, we're sometimes not seeing a lot of joy and the damage that that does to the cause of Christ as we, we've been given good news. And, and I'm hopeful that we could never allow that news, the good news to become old news. And we could, and, and we could, could reflect in what God has done for us. And, you know, I, I remember when my little boy was about nine. And when we think about joy, there's a lot of things that impact that. When my little boy was about nine years old, we had a lot of things going on in our family. We had a lot of things that were just difficult that were happening in extended family and people that were around. I was a little worried about him. And I, I got my little guy down. I sat down grand and I said, hey, buddy, I said, uh, man, it's been kind of a tough season. And some of you may have walked in here this morning and maybe that kind of season for you. And I sat down with him and I said, man, it's been a tough kind of season. I said, what do you think about? all that. And in the way only a, a little eight or nine-year-old boy could do, he just kind of shrugged his shoulders and he said, life. <laughs> and, and you know, he realized something as a young boy that all of us have realized that this life is going to have some difficult moments and you can count on it. But in those difficult moments, this letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, it, He's going to remind us that there's something much greater that can be experienced in the life of a believer, that there's a joy. And this joy is more about peace and contentment and trust in a holy God than it is the circumstances that we are in. And so as we jump into the most joyful of all of Paul's letters, we're going to see that this joy that we have in Christ, that it overcomes whatever we may face. Now, when we open up uh, this letter to the church at Philippi. We're going to be in the first five verses today, so you can take your copy of God's Word and turn there. But, but we're going we're gonna to look at this, but I want to remind you that this is a church we all should be grateful for. If you want to look at the origins of this church and, and when Paul planted this church, you can uh, read through Acts chapter 16. And what we're going to see is that Paul and Silas and uh, his traveling companions, that they were being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that they had plans to go a different direction. And the, the, the Scripture would tell us that the Holy Spirit prevented them from going that way, prevented them from going to Asia and to Mysia. And so as we, we see those uh, kind of things take place, there, there's a moment moment where they end up in, uh, in, in a place and, uh, called Troas, and they're, they're trying to, to really just lean in to what happens next. And the, the Scripture would tell us in Acts 16, verse 9, that a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing 
and, and appealing to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. So they travel. Uh, they, they don't go the direction that they had planned on going, and they travel uh, to Neopolis, and they go to, and Neopolis is a, a city they would travel to by boat, uh, a port city, and then from there they would go uh, a few hours to this place called Philippi. It's this Roman colony, and, and what we know about Philippi is that, that it was a, a really a key city uh, in the midst of this region, and it was a place. They had a, a large highway that was traveling from east to west, and it gave them access uh, to all kinds of different cultures, to all kinds of different religions. A New Testament scholar that I like, Richard Millick, he uh, describes this area and he says that there were more than 35 deities that were worshipped in this ancient, this city of Philippi when uh, Paul traveled there. Now, what we read about in Acts chapter 16 is that the Apostle Paul uh, goes and he finds this group of women, these ladies that are worshiping uh, by the river, that they are in prayer by the river. And we see some things uh, about these ladies. There's a lady named Lydia who is there. And what we read about is that she was worshiping God. Now, now we uh, don't know everything about uh, that gathering of ladies, but I believe that the scripture would point us because it refers to her as worshiping uh, God, that she was a Jew. Uh, I believe that she was a Jew. They were gathered on the Sabbath and they were in prayer. And the scripture would tell us that as Paul engaged with them, that the spirit of God opened uh, the heart of this lady to receive uh, what Paul was saying and the good news of the gospel. And, and what we would read about is that she and her household were baptized, that she was the first believer in Europe and that she and her household were baptized and her home became the, the location of the first house church in Europe. Now, Paul had allowed them to see some joy in his first visit. We've got to reflect a little bit on the context and on who these people were. Now, on one occasion, Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul, has uh, cast the spirit out of this demonic spirit out of this slave girl that had been being used for profit. She had been fortune telling. And when he cast that spirit out, no longer was she a prophet to them any longer. And we find them uh, upset and in a rage because of those things. And what we find is that in that occasion, Paul. Uh, is arrested. Paul has been beaten with rods and he has been placed in jail. And Paul and Silas, in those moments, they would have every reason to be upset about the circumstances that they were in. They would have every reason to be upset and maybe even upset uh, in, a, in a way with God because they are in the circumstances that they are in, especially if they've been listening to some TV preacher that says you're never going to walk through any hard times. Paul doesn't teach that uh, in his writing and neither does any other place in the scriptures. The joy boy will tell you that if you follow Jesus that there'll never be any hard times but Paul would not teach us that and when we read this scripture we understand that Paul and Silas are in jail they could have been angry with their enemies upset with their circumstances but what we read in Acts chapter 16 is that along about midnight and James there's joy in the jailhouse and it was along about midnight yeah that's what we see Let's, we, we it, talk back a little bit I know what to do if you do that come on now it's joy in the jailhouse along about midnight and here they are they're they're in uh, they're in jail and it's a time that they should be upset and they should be weary but what we find is that Paul and Silas are worshiping and they're singing praises to their God and what we see in that passage is that while they're singing and while they're praising that there's a room full that there's prisoners and there's guards that probably have a sour look on their face and the Bible says that they were listening and that they were watching and that they were in those moments and I want to tell you in the midst of your trials and in the midst to your troubles 
And in the midst of those moments where you may feel like you have every right to be upset about your circumstances and every right to be weary and every right not to understand everything uh, about what God is doing, that you can trust in a holy God who is with you and will never leave you or forsake you. And there can be joy in the jailhouse and there can be joy in the hospitals and there can be joy in those moments, right? And what we see is that an earthquake happens, that God moves in the midst of that place. And as we sung this morning, chains fall, the doors open, there's a freedom in that place. And the jailer knows that it'll cost him his hide if they're out of there. And so he is ready to take his life. And the apostle Paul, he he recognizes that and he says, hey, we're still here. And as we read just a couple of weeks ago, the spirit of God pierced an old jailer's heart and he saw the power of God in their midst. And he said, what must I do? To be saved in Acts 16, 31. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus. And I want to tell you this morning, maybe God is speaking to you and you're wondering, what does it mean to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved. You and your household. And so Paul writes a letter to those folks. Right? He writes a letter to Lydia. He writes a letter uh, to this, this Philippian jailer that's come to faith in Christ. He writes a letter, maybe even to this little slave girl. He writes this letter, and in this letter, he begins to encourage them. And as we open up the first five verses, we're going to see that there's a joyful partnership in the gospel. That's the title of this message today. We're going to uh, read Philippians chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. I want to invite you to stand in honor of the Word of God this morning as we read. And then we're going to jump in uh, and break these verses down. And just trust God for what he's going to do uh, in our midst. Beginning in verse 1, Scripture says this, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Will you pray with me? Father, we're so thankful. God, we're thankful for this joyous letter that's written. God, in circumstances that wouldn't seem so joyous. God, we thank you that there is a joy. God, that there is a peace that passes all understanding, Lord. That there is hope uh, in the midst of all of our circumstances, Lord. That we recognize that as Paul writes to, uh, to, to this church at Philippi, that they're not home yet. That they're citizens of a different country, God. And we, uh, we recognize, Lord, that we're not home yet. That we're going to walk through difficulties. That there are hard times. But, Lord, we are so grateful that we have an overcoming Savior. That in a world where there's promises that we will have trouble, we can take courage because Jesus has overcome this world. He changes everything. And we come today asking you to change us. God, change us from the inside out. Let us leave with joy in you, Father. If there's anyone that doesn't know you, God, we pray. Lord, like that jailer, they might be crying under their heart, what must we do to be saved? And that they might hear those words, I believe in the Lord Jesus. God, do a work in us that only you could do. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Verse 1. Hey, we want to look first at, at, at this thought uh, of these participants that are in this partnership. So we want to understand who Paul's writing to. We want to understand, uh, we've looked a little bit at, at Paul's perspective. And so the first thing we see is Paul is with Timothy. Now, when we read this letter, we're going to see it written in the first person. So we're going to see Paul use the words I. He's going to say often uh, those, those type of words. So we understand that this letter is coming from Paul. He's here with Timothy. We see this uh, reminder uh, of this relationship, this uh, 
this father-son in the faith relationship, this reminder of this intentional discipleship that's going on in Paul's life, the example of that. And I want to just just say unapologetically this morning, we need so much more of that. I'm so grateful uh, for, the, for the ministry of trail life that's going to be launching. I'm so grateful for this call to mentorship and to discipleship. I'm so grateful that, that our church is, is a multi-age uh, and a very diverse group of people, and we need more older people and younger people on mission together for the glory of God, taking that wisdom and that grace and those things that they've learned and pouring into that. Paul would tell Timothy uh, later as he would write to him, he said, take those things things that you've heard and seen and learned from me in the presence of many witnesses. He said, I want you to take those things and don't just store them up for yourself somewhere. That the gospel's come to you and it's come to you on the way to other people. And so don't store them up, but pour them out. And he would say that you would take those things and you would entrust those to faithful men. And we need to be looking, like listen, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, we need to be looking for faithful men that we can pour into that would take the gospel and would continue to allow the gospel to go forth. We need those things, right? We have all opportunities, even love and action to come in together with multi-ages and to serve God and to be on mission together with him. Now, Paul and Timothy, they give a definition. He said, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, this word in the Greek, it's doulos. And when we see the, the translations uh, that we read that in, we lighten it up just a little bit because servant sounds a whole lot better than slave. But what I want you to understand is a servant who uh, is a servant serves whoever they want. But I want you to understand a slave, a bond slave has been purchased and they are owned by one master and they serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then Paul comes in and, and he says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants is doulos, bond slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, that's who is writing to you. And he says, this is who I'm writing to, to all, all the saints. Now we hear that word and we hear the word saint. And I always think of some like really sweet little old lady. And I'm like, I just love it. She's a saint. And most of us, when we look at ourselves, we don't think of ourselves as a saint. You know, I, I might think of you know, this morning I got to see a, a, an old friend, Saray Thornton, that's here because she's led FCA for so many years and just poured into the lives of students. And she's here to see one of her students that she's poured into be baptized. And when I think about her, I might say, you know what? She's a saint. But here's what I want you to understand in the scripture. The Bible never uses the word saint to refer to a select group of believers that are just significantly more like, like they have this unusual spiritual maturity. The word saints refers to, to, to sanctified or holy ones. It means to be separ separated and to be set apart. And every believer who has trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you are the saints. And so, Lynn Kerman, if you could look over at your husband and call him Saint Craig right there, it'd be awesome. Saint Craig. Any other spouses that would like to do that? Lindsay, St. Chris, you can do that. It's, it's great. You just look at him and you do that. So I, I know that sounds kind of funny, right? But this, this is the reality of what we're looking at. And we understand that our righteousness is not from within ourselves, that because of our sinfulness, that we need a righteousness that is outside of ourselves. And when we place our faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we are given a righteousness, his righteousness. Positionally, we are made right with God. And what we're going to see next week as we get into verse 6, and I'm going to hold it till then, that God is at work making true of us practically what is true of us positionally when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, welcome saints to the gathering this morning. Now he goes on and he says he felt some need to include some stuff. Now he wanted us to know that it's all the saints, but then he says, including 
the overseers and the deacons. And so uh, he wanted to say, hey, you guys are saints too, right? That you are in uh, that place. And, and here's this, this reality. It's not just the, the, the overseers and the deacons. It's not just those that have been elected to some, that, that have been placed in some type of office in the church that are the saints. It is all the saints, and it includes them. And what we can understand about that, while we may not understand everything about the church at Philippi, what we can understand about this is this church has grown. Now they have organized for ministry. They have organized for the progress of the gospel. And that's what we're called to do as a church. We organize not just uh, so we can have somebody with some kind of title. If there's some kind of title that we're after, we miss the whole thing think, but we're organized for the progress of the gospel. We're organized to see God's work at hand. And so this church has grown. And, and, and here's this other reminder that his leadership, it, it, that he specifically speaks to them. And leaders must lead. We must be in a place. When it comes to these Paul and Timothy relationships, when it comes to being intentional disciples, when it comes to being a people who are filled with joy, I, I heard one person say, you know what? They may have some joy. You know that song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. You remember that? Well, some people, it's so far down in their heart that they hadn't heard from it and got it to their face, right? Because here's the thing. And so if you're a leader in this church, right, joy, joy should be a characteristic of, of every believer in Jesus Christ. Joy should be a characteristic of the saints because we have been given the good news of Jesus Christ. And some of us have let it become old news. Some of us have, have forgotten what it feels like to be lost and redeemed and purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I remind you as we read that, that this is where joy comes from. Now, this is a customary greeting, but he says grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where joy comes from. And the participants in this partnership that we see in this passage remind us that joy is possible in all circumstances. Some of you are thinking, I don't know about this circumstance that I'm in right now. I've seen it in you. I've seen it in the midst of heartache. I've seen it in the midst of grief. Joy and grief can exist at the same time in the life of a believer in Jesus Christ. We are a people uh, that the Apostle Paul would write to the church at Thessalonica. And he would say that we don't grieve without hope because we know that Jesus died and rose again. And so we are not a people who grieve without hope. It is possible in all of our circumstances. There was joy in the jailhouse 12 years before then. And there's joy in the jailhouse as Paul writes this letter. There's joy that can be found in the midst of all of our circumstances. And we're going to see another thing. Not only is joy possible in all circumstances, but joy is possible in all saints. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can have that joy because that joy comes from Jesus. Grace and peace. It is a, it is a sense of contentment. It, it is a sense of trust in a holy God. Uh, it, it is something that overwhelms our, our circumstances, right? So we're going to see that it's possible in all the saints. So we see the participants in the partnership. The second thing we're going to see is the posture of prayer in this partnership. Uh, look at verse 3 and 4. The Apostle Paul says, I thank my God. In all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. Now, now 
Paul, when he writes this, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Now, he could have focused on the, the bad things that had gone on. He could have focused on the times that he was beaten with rods. He could have focused on uh, the difficulties that he faced when he was there. He could have focused on the reality that they wanted to run him off and that he had to leave sooner than probably what he would have, have wanted to do. We would see all of those places, but he chooses to focus on the good. We're going to see later in uh, this, this letter that we are to, to set our minds on whatever is, is good, whatever is noble, whatever is holy, whatever is pure. We're going to see this call that we might fix our minds on the things of God and on the gospel and on what God is doing. And so instead of choosing to reflect on those things, he said, I thank my God. He said, there's a gratitude in my heart uh, for this partnership in the gospel. He said, I thank my God in remembrance of you. There's joy in every prayer. As he thinks about them, there's a joy that bubbles up in him because they are on mission together for the glory of God. There's a joy in him as he writes this letter. You know, this past Thursday, I gathered with deacons. We gathered in a, a, a shelter at the crossing the tennis courts to pray, and it was just us there. It was raining, and, uh, and we had this moment where, and, and I'm just aware maybe more than ever in my life just how dependent we are on God to move, right? how, how dependent we are that his spirit might, might direct and that he might guide us and that the power of God might be manifested among us as people walk in obedience to Christ. And we've been seeing something unique take place over these past few weeks where people have been being saved and baptized, even in the, the same services where we've been seeing uh, baptisms, we've been seeing God at work, and we're we're desperate in our world to see God at work, to see our, our culture and to see people uh, in our communities uh, just hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I want to invite you, when we think about this, this posture of prayer in this partnership, I want to invite you, uh, this Thursday is the National Day of Prayer. And at the gazebo across from the courthouse downtown at noon, our community is going to gather together believers from all kinds of different churches. Yesterday, our student ministry, and so grateful for Chris and, uh, and just the leaders there that pour into our students. They partnered uh, with about 150 total uh, students and adults to go out into our community and do something similar uh, to what we're doing with Love and Action, just to go out and serve people and love them in the name of Jesus. And I want you to understand that, that, that there's a partnership in the gospel uh, among churches in our area, and we need to be praying for those churches. We need to be praying for those that are, are proclaiming the good news of the gospel and the purity of the gospel that, that we might not see ourselves in competition, but in cooperation for the glory of God. And I want to invite every one of you that can to show up at the gazebo at noon, uh, just across from the courthouse, and that we might petition the very throne of heaven, that we would recognize and not take for granted the access that we have through the shed blood of Jesus, and that we might come and petition our great God on behalf of our community, on behalf of of this uh, world that we live in. There's a posture of prayer in this partnership. And I pray that we would approach it with gratitude and joy. Verse 5, finally, we're going to see the purpose of this partnership. Verse 5, he says, Always offering prayer, verse 4, with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day until now. See, see the purpose in all of this is the progress of the gospel. We're going to continue to see that in chapter 1. We see the progress of the gospel. And in this passage, we see Paul look to this church. And there's a joy there in their participation in the gospel from the first day till now. There's a perseverance, right, that they have. There's this reality that they 
are persistent in this preparation. When he, when we see this first convert, when we see this, uh, this lady that comes to faith in Christ, this woman, she begins to invest in Paul. She invites him to stay in her home. She invites him. She, she begins to use her resources and her gifts. And we would see that this church at Philippi, that it was a giving church, that it had supported Paul in the ministry. We'd see their persistence or their participation from the first day. And so, by the way, if you got saved in the last couple of weeks, and maybe today you're being baptized or you're, you've just now trusted Christ, we want you to understand that you don't have to wait until somehow uh, you've, you've memorized all the scriptures and you know all these deep theological truths and you have all these things. We want you to declare what you know, that you once were lost and now you've been found and that Jesus has saved you and that he's called you uh, into this partnership in the gospel where we as a people proclaim the good news of who he is as we live in the midst of this broken broken world, that they might, they might see our love, that they might see our joy, that they might see our love for one another, that we might serve our community, that we might serve our neighbors, and that we might do that in such a way that it might help to open doors for the gospel. We have a responsibility to proclaim the gospel. We don't have uh, to serve in order to earn the right to do that. We've been commanded to go and to share the good news of the gospel. But if we can take a towel and a wash basin and serve our neighbor and love our neighbor and do random acts of kindness and do things that we might do that would just demonstrate that God loves us and that we've experienced his love. And because we've experienced his love, we want to extend that love to others. And we share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the reason for the hope and the joy that we have. And I just want to close with a reminder to us all this morning. The joy of the Lord is available to you today. And I want to ask you this morning, are you a saint? And some of you are thinking, man, I don't live perfect. I don't do those things. And that's not what I'm asking I'm asking, has there ever been a time in your life where you have turned from your sins and you have trusted in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ? That, that you would recognize that, that there's been a time where you've recognized that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. That the Spirit of God has pierced your heart and you've recognized that apart from Him, that there is no... It doesn't matter. I, I want to tell you, you can serve at every love and action day. You can have your own love and action day. Uh, you can show up at every baptism and every church service and everything that takes place uh, until Jesus comes back. And, and you can still die and go to hell apart from Christ if you don't have a relationship with Him. And if there's never been a time where you've repented of your sins, that word repent simply means a change of mind that results in a change of direction. We are declaring as we go to the river today uh, that these who are being baptized, that there's been this, this time... Uh, where uh, they've been buried with, with Christ in, in baptism, that they have, have died with him, that Jesus' death, right, when we recognize our need for a Savior and we look and know that there's nothing that we could do in our own strength to earn any kind of righteousness, the Bible would tell us that, that our righteousness is as filthy rags in his sight. But we recognize our need for a Savior, and we look to the cross, and we recognize that, that Jesus Christ, that he has uh, died in our place, that he died for us, that his death was in my place. And we look to the cross and we say, you know what? I, I know that there's nothing that I could do to be righteous. There's nothing that I could do to be forgiven of my sins. There's nothing I could do to earn any of that. But I look to the cross and I know that what Jesus did on that cross, that it was for me. And like that Philippian jailer, what must we do to be saved? We believe. We trust in that with all of our heart. 
we believe, we surrender, we, we trust our lives. And we receive a joy that is beyond this world. And I want you to know that no matter how you came in here today, you can go from sinner to saint Amen. in surrender yeah. to the Savior. Yeah. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that even in these moments. We're going to worship together. We're going to sing and praise our great God and reflect on all that he has done for us. If you're a believer in this room, I want you to reflect on all that has been accomplished for you on the cross. And I pray that in the power of the Holy Spirit that God might bring a joy in us that would be contagious, a joy that would be seen by our neighbors, a joyous reminder uh, that the lost has been found, that God has saved us and he has redeemed us and that he is going to finish the work he started in us, that we are in him. And, and it should bring joy in our life that everyone should know. But if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus, I want to invite you to come to this stage to, to tell me, to tell Pastor Chris, to tell uh, Pastor Ronnie, to tell one of us, just I need to be saved. We'd love to take the, the, the word of God and to point you to Christ, that you might call on his name, that you might trust in him for salvation. My heart is that you would trust him today. Behold, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful. God, we're grateful that through the shed blood of Christ, that all who would believe and trust in him, God, that we can be made saints, holy and righteous, not because of anything that we have done, but all because of what you have done in our place. And so, Lord, I pray that you would remind us, that you would remind the saints that the work is done. God, that you would remind, that you would speak to those that don't know you, God, and you would draw them Lord, to repentance and faith in you, God, that the kindness that they would see in your great love for us, Lord, would draw them to repentance, Lord, that they would know, Lord, that they are loved, that they are called, that they are welcomed. Lord, we thank you for those being baptized today, for those that are declaring uh, their faith publicly. God, do a work in us from the inside out. God, help us to be obedient in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand in worship?